Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode number 27, and it gives me a great pleasure to introduce the assistant to general manager, Ken Holland, but we know him as a former Red Wing, four-time Stanley Cup champion, and the man who came up with the term, the grind line, even though Joey Koser had to okay it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chris Draper joins us. Chris, thanks for doing this. Uh, thank you very much, Art. I appreciate it. And, uh Fine introduction. Fine introduction. Well, it, and you. it's all true. It's all true. It, it, it's yeah. all true. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things that we can do, and I know uh, we're doing this on Monday night. The Red Wings are about to play the Penguins for the second time in the preseason here, this time at Little Caesars Arena. But the one thing that I really wanted to uh, talk to you about, the last time you were on the show and then pre after that, I interviewed you about Dylan Larkin whose father came up to you and pleaded with you to teach his son how to take draws, yeah. how to take face-offs. Then all of a sudden the preseason starts. The first two preseason games, the Red Wings, are called twice for a rule. I think it's 76.6, which has been in effect since you've yeah. been a player, yeah. but they're enforcing now, which is essentially even the guys, even the wingers can get called in the dot for doing yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, Red Wings were frustrated about it. Henrik Zetterberg came out, said he did not like it being enforced. Uh, your opinion thus far of what you've seen? Because I know you're, you've been in yeah, every preseason um, game. Obviously, you know, I, I took a lot of pride in, in face-offs and, and winning face-offs is a big part of who I was and a big part of why I was able to play so long. So, you know, it's, it's hard for me to, to watch how uh, quickly, you know, players, centermen are thrown out. Uh, and, and sometimes it has... You know, you, it's the wingers that are trying to anticipate uh, the, the drop, and that's why the centerman gets thrown out. So um, I think right now it's just, you know, everyone is just trying to, to, to get a hold of this, of, of what you can do and what you can't do. Um, you know, we went the other night. There wasn't, uh, you know, we didn't have any issues the other night here uh, Saturday, our first home game at Little Caesars Arena. Um, I was in Boston when we did get those two, uh, two infractions uh, in the face-off circle. So I think... I think it's just a matter of the players kind of, and, and more importantly, the centermen just trying to realize, you know, what, what they can do and how the face-offs are, are going to work. And, you know, it's a, and then you just kind of get into it. I remember, you know, all of a sudden the one year, you know, they put the T-bars in for us and, you know, those were new. And now it's kind of like, man, like, what am I going to do with these things? If I'm a smaller guy and I was supposed to have both my feet on these T-bars and, you know, I try to get as, you know, try to, I guess you could say cheat uh, I call it anticipating. Some people call it cheating. You just try to get as much as, as you could. And, you know, back then, then they would, they would enforce it, especially in, in, in preseason, in exhibition. But um, I, think the, I think the tolerance um, I, I was, was probably high right off the hop. I think, um, you know, it'll probably, you know, the, probably kind of let the centermen feel it out and see what they have to do and what they can do, where their stick can be, where their feet can go. And then from there, the one thing obviously is a big part of having a big face-off night is your center or your wingers or your D helping for loose pucks. You know, that's probably mm -hmm. the, you know, a 50-50 puck. If my wingers get it, chances are I got a good chance to be in, you know, seven out of 10 face-offs. If they don't get it, I could be five out of 10, four out of 10. That's not a good night in the face-off circle. So, I think that could kind of come into play more so than the centerman on, on how that's going to go. You know, fans are always fascinated by what 
the chatter among teammates on the ice or in the dugout or even what's Miguel Cabrera saying to Joe Maurer when he gets a single and all the communication out there. But the one thing I get asked a lot about is before faceoff, you're talking to your wingers, you're talking to your defensemen. What are you saying? Uh, and is it? In, are you trying to get together a plan depending on how the puck is dropped or what goes on during well, that Well, it depends on where you are and it depends what the situation is. I mean, I was lucky, obviously. I knew you know, pretty well most of my wingers when I was going over the boards were going to be Mac and Maltz. Right, right, <laughs> so right, right. we had a real familiarity of what I wanted to do on face-offs depending where it was and where they were going to go depending on how it was going to happen. Um, you know, when in the defensive zone there were times where if I was going to try, if I was on my forehand and I wanted to win it back to the net, you know, I let my goalie know and I let my inside D-man know. It's just a matter of having communication. Right. You know, the, the funny thing is, is, you know, remember they had that five-second rule right. where, you know, you kind of came in and if, you know, they're going to drop the puck if you weren't there. Right. Um, I'm sure that's still in the rule book, but you don't really see that anymore. You know, there's times where, you know, you're coming onto the ice and, you know, I would always talk to my, my wingers or my D-men and, you know, at, you know, early on you, you just couldn't because they're going right. to come and drop the puck. So... Um, you know, for me, it's a, it's a lot of communication. I think now you're going to see a lot of players really rely on, on quickness, uh, you know, and they're probably going to do a lot of practicing on different t techniques on, on how to win face-offs and how to be quick and how to, you know, how, how are you going to win these draws. It used to be there was times where, you know, if I was having a tough night, I was going to, you know, tie up and try to struggle. Those are the ones where, you know, chances are that the centerman's going to get, you know, tossed. You're going right. to kind of anticipate and kind of jump jump the drop and you're going to try to tie tie up a stick and use your feet. I would probably say now that's going to be limited because of, of how you have to cheat to, to try to do that. Uh, so I think right now it's a, it's a feeling out process. Um, but in the end, I think, you know, the sentiment are really going to have to rely on, uh, on their quickness and their hand-eye to, to win a lot of face-offs. Well, when, when you're about to take a draw, can you anticipate what the linesman is going to do? I mean, do you look at, because you're always like looking, you guys are looking up at him, oh, yeah. something, you know, so yeah. what are you looking at or what are you looking for? Well, a lot of times, you know, the, the puck, usually the hand has a little bit of movement, mm -hmm. you know, and that's kind of what I was always, what I was always going on is, you know, I would come in and just kind of, you know, I would know that, you know, as soon as there's a flicker of the hand, I'm going right. on, on face-offs like that. So you, you just kind of see, you know, I mean, I don't even know how many thousands of face-offs I took, and you just kind of get, you get into it, and you get a routine, and, and, you, and, and the one thing, it's funny, the one thing, you know, I told Dylan Lark, and I, I told Larks, I said, you know, make sure you know the linesmen's names and, and, and talk to them. You know, right. like you just want to, you know, if you have an opportunity to ask how they're doing, ask how they're doing. You know, you might get a little bit of a benefit of the doubt in a face-off. So I always had, you know, I always had pretty good communication and, and pretty good relationships with, uh, with, with the linesmen. And, uh, you know, it's something that, you know, uh, winning face-offs for me was so important that I had to, I had to use everything I could to, to make sure that I won those draws. You know, I want to read the rule that they're enforcing to you and see if you... If it makes sense, do you think it's fair and do you think that it's enforceable? Because Darren Helm the other day said that it's pretty straightforward. Dylan Larkin said it's not straightforward. Sure. They didn't even know in Boston when the Red Wings were, I guess it was the wingers that got the face-off violation. They weren't even sure when the whistle blew what was really going on, that it yeah. was a penalty. This is what the rule states. Uh, when at least two face-off violations have been committed by the same team during the same face-off, this team shall be penalized with a bench minor penalty to the offending team. This penalty shall be announced as a bench minor uh, penalty for delay of game, 
face-off violation. Face-off violation shall be summarized as follows. Uh, any of the four on-ice officials may identify a face-off violation, and then it goes back and says it goes from anywhere from covering your hand onto the puck to uh, to moving off the uh, off the yeah. off the t you know. Yeah. I mean it's. It's vast. I mean, it, it, do you think, because this league, you know as well as I do, the, the big time they were going to crack down on clutching and grabbing and holding, one weekend they called like 18,000 penalties, the next weekend, zero. I mean, you know, yeah. it, it has a habit of yeah. talking a big game and then really never following through. This is episode 26? Yes. So how about we talk again at uh, episode 46 All right. and let's see, let's see where we're at. I think... You know, I think everyone is just players adjust. Right. You know, there's rules that come in. Players adjust. You know, obviously, you know the 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 the, the clutching and grabbing. I mean, we used to do that like, I mean, like right. hardcore. You were right. allowed to do it, and then all of a sudden the, the rule comes in that you're not allowed to do it. Well, it was such a matter of habit that we would still do it, and then you know players adjust. I think this face-off rule. I think the centermen, you know, are are going to adjust. You know, and it's. Kind of a funny story, like my, you know, towards the end of my career, like I knew I could still take face-offs, but I was playing left wing with Darren Helm, and I knew if, as a winger, if I cheated, I could get Darren thrown out and take the draw. Mm -hmm. So me thinking, being a little calculated here, <laughs> that, you know, I kind of encroached a little bit knowing that I'd get Helmer to cheat so I could take the draw. So that rule's been around, you know, for the wingers for a long time, and like... So I did it on purpose some nights. You know, if I was kind of feeling it and I wanted to take some draws, I'd cheat a little bit to get Helmer thrown out. So I was able to go in and take face-offs. You know, I know you're a proud Canadian, but uh, I, I don't know if it's an American adage or not. But if, you know, and I think Charles Barkley, I'm sure he's not the first, but he, he made it kind of famous. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Yep. Uh, I mean, I guess cheating... Or it, anticipating. Or anticipating, as you like to say. That's part of the game, though, sure isn't it? sure it is, yeah. And actually, I'm American, too, by the way. Well, well you know, okay. but, but right. originally... Born in Canada, right. yeah. Let's just clarify this for our listeners. Okay, yeah. all right. Well, all right. I, consider my, I consider myself, because I grew up in Detroit and was in Canada so much, yeah. that I consider myself Canadian because I love Canadian television. Okay. So, but I'm not a citizen of Canada. Yeah. Okay. Well, but, but, that, that's a whole different episode. <laughs> right. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, I'm drifting, Chris. Yeah. You always throw I got me you. off. I got gotcha. you. I'll bring you right back. All right, thank you. So I would say on, and like I said, it, when when you go in to take a faceoffs, and there's, you know, for me, probably three of the biggest draws that I ever took were 2008 playoffs. Right. You know, against Sidney Crosby, when you know we had three defensive zone faceoffs, and. You know, back then you could you could spin, you could cheat, you could use your hand, like all those kind of things. That's just the way it was. You it was a it was a win at all cost faceoffs, and you know I realized how important it was going against a great player like Sidney Crosby, and I was on the ice for one reason, that's to win those draws. And you know I think for me that's imp for Luke Lendenning, that's important to be a great faceoff man. You know for you know Henrik Zetterberg, it's not as important. You know, Z's a, you know, he's a superstar type player. You know, the, you know, the role players, guys that kill penalties, you know, you now know every time there's a penalty, you're starting your defensive zone, the importance of winning a faceoff is, you know, it's, it's, it's important for these centermen. That's why Luke goes over the boards. His job right. is to go win faceoffs. And, you know, for me as that guy, you know, I, I would love for them to be able to, to, to make sure that they use everything they can to, to win those faceoffs. But with that said, you know, it, there is a rule. It is being enforced. And right now, you know, I'm, I would hope 
and I would expect that the guys are, are, are practicing the proper ways to take face-offs. And as you do it, you're going to find ways to win. That's what good centermen do. That's what good hockey players do. And, and I believe that that's what, uh, what our centermen group will do. And, and, you know, from watching them in Boston to watching them here the other night, you know, there was no violations, uh, you know, for us. And I think, you know, as, as that first guy gets thrown out, it's going to be pretty tough for that second guy to, to try to win face-offs. You know, it'll be interesting to, to see how that works out. How many times does a winger come in and actually win the draw? You know, that's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting. Because I know as a centerman, you know, going against another centerman, I'm, you know, these guys, we know what to do. And a lot of times when a winger came in, I, you know, I basically, you know, I, I was almost positive that I was going to win this draw. And that's just the mindset that, that I always had. And I think probably a lot of good centermen feel the same way. When a centerman gets tossed and a winger come in, you know, you could, the, 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 the advantage goes to the, the natural centerman. Yeah, you said that you, what happens is, is that hockey players adjust. Or you, and, and we're not talking about just any old hockey players. We're talking about the elite level, yeah. the greatest hockey players in the world. So essentially, maybe from you know, the untrained eye like myself or a fan, when they look at it, they think that the league is not cracking down anymore, but what we're really seeing is we're seeing players adjust to the way the game is being called, which is something that fans can entirely forget about. Yeah, and I, I would say, you know, when when this came, when the face-off rule came in, it was no tolerance. Right. You know, now it's, it's probably a little less tolerance, but centermen figuring it out too. So it's a combination of both, you know, and that's the, you know, that's, that's the, the thing that you want you want the players, you want the hockey players to figure it out. You know, you want them to impact the games, not, you know, not a, not a, not a call like that that's going to make a difference in an important hockey game. You know, but in the end, it's, uh, it's up for the, for the players to adjust what the rules are. And like you said, the rules, how long has, has it been in there for, you it know? Looks like, it looks like it's been there forever. Yeah, so it's been there for a long time. And, you know, so I, uh, you know, I, I believe that, you know, the, and, and we're seeing it is it's a matter of, uh, you know, right off the hop, it's everything's different. You're going to go back, you're going to put your foot, you're going to do everything you can to try to win face-offs. And, you know, now now you have to try to find different ways to do it. And that's, what's, that's what, you know, great centermen do. They're going to find ways. They're going to know what they can do. They're going to know what they can't do. They're going to know when they can do it. And, and from there, the, uh, I don't think it's, it's going to be that big of a, a factor as we get going here. You know, as I mentioned, uh, earlier this summer we spoke uh, – couple of times uh, at the draft and, and then about specifically Dylan Larkin and you said that his dad kept asking you bugging you to teach him how to take draws uh, have you had the did you have the opportunity this summer to work with him uh, and, and, and take draws or during you know we're still in training yeah. camp essentially yeah uh, all my techniques would get Dylan Larkin thrown out of the face off this so, what I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to I'm watching too to see if there's something where I can maybe uh, you know help them out but uh, you know, right now, I was, you know, it was great that, uh, you know, Mr. Larkin reached out and we had, like I said, we had a blast. We had a blast at Joe Louis Arena. We had a skate in my backyard and kind of did some more face-offs and it was, it was amazing to, to have him out there. Great. You know, I'm a big, obviously big, you know, Dylan Larkin and, and, and Larkin family uh, fan, you know, real, real good people. So if Dylan, you know, needs some help, I'd certainly be the first guy to get on the ice and, and help him and try to come up with something how, you know, to make him a better face-off man. You know, Scotty would always say about you that he liked the way that you anticipated he thought that maybe you were the best anticipator he ever saw out yeah. on the, <laughs> out on the yeah. ice. I mean, it, but it has to make you feel good that 
Scotty Bowman, who, you know, I've said this on this podcast, but I, I consider him the best coach of all time, regardless mm. of sport. Mm. It's just because, as you, you know better than me, he was always thinking the game. Yeah. You know, there was always, he was always looking for that competitive advantage. Yeah. And obviously, so were you. And I think that's, and that's probably what he saw in you, I yeah. would imagine. Well, I mean, uh, to be honest with you, a true story, I was down in, uh, in Hamilton. We were playing in the American Hockey League. I was playing for Adirondack. Uh, and Hamilton's close to my hometown, so I, at the time I had, you know, I, I had my girlfriend, who's now my wife. I had her family, I had my family, I had a bunch of buddies. They all came down to, to watch me play, and I ended up, I, I scored a hat trick. I had a hat trick that night, and I was, you know, I was just proud walking out and everything. And then I found out afterwards that the Detroit Red Wing brass was there. Scotty, we played in Toronto the next night. Uh, Scotty was there, Brian Murray was there. Uh, Ken Holland was there. Like I had a, you know, man. Like I, t t I, I picked a day to have a hat trick, you know, to kind of make an impression. And I'd known Scotty from the World Juniors, and I was talking to my dad, and Scotty comes over, and oh, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And so we come over, and uh, he goes, uh, he goes, you know, good, good game tonight and everything, and and uh, so I thought he was going to talk about my hat trick, you know, yeah. scoring three goals and stuff. And he goes, uh, he goes, how many faceoffs do you take tonight? And I was kind of like. Like I know back then they didn't right. keep though you know right. they didn't get a game sheet in the American Hockey League I said I uh, maybe twenty twenty five like this and he goes uh, you took nineteen faceoffs he goes is that a lot or no or no and I said uh, you know probably you know fair amount and they use you a lot on draws eh they you, you like that and I was like yeah and he goes how many did you win I go I, usually I win you know maybe fourteen fifteen out of twenty you know in around there he, he goes you won seventeen of nineteen faceoffs he goes can you do that in the NHL. And I looked at him, I said, uh, yes, sir, I, I sure can. You know, and he said, he goes, all right, he goes, I'll see you in two weeks. And then he walks away and I go, see you in two weeks. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm going to see him in Detroit or is right. he coming back to see me? And then sure, sure enough, two weeks later, I ended up getting called to the Detroit Red Wings and never went back. And uh, he brought that up. He goes, remember the conversation we had? And I said, yeah. And he goes, win face-offs. You know, so when we go back to how important right. it is, it's, to me, it, it really, it gave me an opportunity to be a Detroit Red Wing because, there was something that I could do. I had a little, you know, I, I had, I had a role, and and I took pride in faceoffs. As a lot of guys, everyone wants to win draws, right. but for me, I knew it was a it was a big big part of of me getting to the NHL, and and obviously a big part of staying in the NHL. And the way I look at it is, you know, if if we were killing penalties and defensive zone draw, I had a chance to go out on the ice. If we were, you know, down by, you know, if we were protecting a lead. And, and it's late in the game and, and we have defensive zone draws, I have an opportunity to get out on the ice, more ice time for me. You know, that's kind of, you know, my mindset of how, you know, face-offs were. It wasn't just taking face-offs. There was a reason why, you know, I wanted to be the best I could be at taking draws. And in the end, of that, it ended up being out there in important situations and taking important face-offs and, and getting more ice time. You know, the, the obviously, uh, during the days that you played, the Red Wings were the premier puck possession team in the NHL. Uh, a style that it seems that the league now has pretty much adopted. Uh, the style the Red Wings played. Faceoffs are obviously very important for mm -hmm. you. Got to possess the puck. You got to yeah. win a draw. And you said something to me that when you were telling Dylan Larkin, when you were having a little bit of faceoff class with him, if you can win a draw, you're making the other team play chase the puck yeah. for a good 15 20 seconds of their shift yeah so it's it's important now going back to what Henrik Zetterberg said last week I think that he was more upset about the, the, this enforcement because he doesn't want it to decide a game a penalty yeah. to decide a yeah. game it, you know it does seem in everything that they can call and everything that they can work on 
to have a face-off violation, as you and you've alluded to this during this podcast, to decide a game just does not seem right. Well, let me ask you a question. When they brought in the when the puck goes over the glass, right? The delay a game. How many times did we talk about that? Oh, you know, oh, like oh, you know, like till, till this day we still do. And then how many times does does it happen in crucial situations? Not a lot. No, you're right. 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 You know, so somehow a phantom somebody touches it before it goes over. And, right. Well, no, I think it's players adjust. You know, they know what they can do. They know what they can get away with. They realize now. I mean, you know, you used to be your, you know, you're under, you're under siege, and you're, right. you know, like the goalie's pulled. What are you gonna do? You're gonna flip it out. Right. You know, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna try. Now you're, you're very aware of what you can do. Right. You know, you can't flip the puck out when you're, you know, in the defensive zone. So players adjust. You know, and I believe it's gonna be the same thing. You know, right here. I believe that. You know, the centermen are going to adjust, the wingers are going to adjust, the D are going to adjust on defensive zone draws, and then from there, you're just going to go, you're, you're, you're going to play hockey. And that, that's, that's what I believe, and I think you've seen that from rules that have, have gone in. You know, I mean, we had, we had one preseason where, I mean, you had to be having 10, 12, 13 penalties, and, and right. you know, that you're killing, which is great for me because I was a penalty killer. Right. Uh, but, you know, in the end, you know, the, the players realized what you could do and what you couldn't do, and... You know that's uh, that, that's what you know. You have a rule book that comes out, and from there, like I said, uh, you know players are going to figure it out. When yeah, uh, you know, I, it sounds like I'm spending a lot of time uh, on Dylan Larkin, but obviously he's an important uh, uh, player to this Red Wing organization. For sure. But another young player that I've kind of been impressed with has been number one draft pick, ninth overall this year, Michael Rasmussen. Now it used to be Rasmussen, or we called him that, but now we're told it's Rasmussen. So Michael Rasmussen. Uh, I've seen him do the hand-eye coordination or the tip drill, whatever. I, I don't know the proper term yeah. of it, but he stands in front of the net. Someone fires the puck, and then he tips it, hopefully, into the goal. Yeah. I am not exaggerating, Chris. I've seen him probably do this three, four hundred times because I just whenever he's yeah. doing it, I'm, I'm fixated yeah. on him. It seems that he scores at least 90% of the time, and I know that when he was drafted and we talked about it that you know, he was a guy – uh, I've talked this over with Tyler Wright a lot, that you know his hand-eye coordination in front of the net, he's a big man, he's, only, he's six feet six, yeah. and thin still, yeah. but he's going to yeah. fill out. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is, is, that's a skill, right? Can you teach that to somebody? Because it, it looks effortlessly yeah. by him. I mean, yeah. is, is that something that you've noticed, or am I, as usual, over-exaggerating? No, I... Um... You know, I would say, you know, when you, that, that was the one thing when people, when we took him ninth, a lot of people were, you know, about where he scores his goals. I mean, right. who cares where you score? I mean, you score, you score 32 <laughs> goals in 50 games. Like, we're expecting a, you know, a big year for a big man. Uh, you know, number one, staying healthy. Number two, he's going, you know, he's going to be going back to a real good junior team. And, you know, we feel that, you know, with uh, being drafted by us, the, you know, the development camp, the prospect tournament, being a part of these games, obviously he's playing tonight. Uh, he's going to have a lot of confidence and go back and, and have a big year for us. Um, those are those are the way you score goals in the National right. Hockey League with what he's doing. Very rarely, very rarely do you see, like, the first shot go in on, on five on five. There's always something happening. There's a rebound. There's a tip. There's a tip, rebound, and, the, you know, guys are there. And, you know, the way that – the way that he's going to be and how big and strong he's going to be, he's going to be able to be in all the hard areas to score goals. And that was the intriguing thing of why we kept coming back to why we liked him. 
And, you know, I think, I mean, I played with, I played with probably two of the greatest guys that ever did it, Dino Cicerelli and Thomas Holmstrom. Right, right. You know, and those guys, you know, they would be out there, same thing forever. You know, you just go out and be like, D-Man would be shooting pucks, shooting pucks, and they'd be, you know, forehand, backhand, right, forehand. Right. You know, they're sitting there just working it. Uh, and it's a skill. There's an art to it, but there's obviously, there's a way of, of that, how you're going to be get better is exactly what, 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 uh, what Michael's doing, and that's repetition. Do it over and over and over again. That's that's what you're supposed to do. And uh, so we, uh, you know, that's that's a great uh, it's a great area. And when you can put a guy that's six six and put him net front front of the power play, that's going to number one screen, number two battle for position, number three be able to tip pucks and score goals. You know, that's uh, that's going to be very important with the, with the way that the game's going. Have you had much interaction with him, or is because he's he's a youngster and he's Although he's wise beyond his years, yeah. I'll be. I'm going to admit right now, he's he he's a lot more mature than I am. Yeah. And you know, I'm like four times older than him, yeah. or whatever. You know, but uh, yeah. but I, do do you interact, or do you take a step back and let these guys kind of not figure it out for yeah. themselves, but let them get some sort of their own personal comfort level? Uh, well, definitely comfort level. Um, you know, it was. Uh, uh, it was obviously. Uh, you know, I know we had, we had a real good interview with him at the combine in Buffalo. Uh, you could really feel the intensity of how bad and and how bad, you know. This guy's all hockey. You know, this is right. what, this oh, yeah. is what this guy wants to be. He wants to be a hockey player. To me, I I love I love people like that. Um, obviously, very serious, very very intense, and he's he's going to find a way to play in the National Hockey League. I love that. Um, he always wants to get better. I know talking to Sean Horkoff and Dan Cleary, you know, he's a guy that's always asking questions, and and you love that and. Um, you know, when he, uh, obviously with the wrist injury after a development camp, right. I just sent him a couple texts, how you doing, how you feeling kind of thing throughout the summer, how's the training, you know, just more just th those kind of things, just casual, you know, relationship and, uh, you know, more or less I want him to be able to find his, find his way. But, you know, he scored the other night, you know, congratulate him on that, asked him if he's having fun, enjoying it. And I was kidding around and, and saying, uh, you know, about, you know, the new rink compared to what, you know, we all played out of it right, back right. at Joe Lewis. Right. And I said, pretty good timing on your part uh, <laughs> to become a Detroit Red Wing. And, you know, like, it's just, you know, converse, you just want them to, it's, they put a lot of pressure on themselves um, because obviously he's a ninth overall pick. Um, and you just want them to be able to just relax and play hockey. Just enjoy this, you know, and take as much information as possible. So I've always just tried to, do that when he was at when training camp started in Tri Cities for him. Just ask how the wrist was, right. you know, before he was coming in. So just you know, just a little communication with that. So I I, I like Raz. I, I'm looking forward to watching him play and looking forward to watching his progress this year. And uh, you know, like all of us, we're we're expecting big uh, big things for him from him. Do they approach you? I mean, you're all, you're all, you have always been easy to approach. You know, I mean, heck, I hunted you down for this. Uh, for this podcast uh, in the media room, yes, for, yes. yeah, <laughs> you know, but well, it's uh, prior to that too. That's, uh, <laughs> right, but uh, but I, I mean, because they know who you are, they know you're a former player. You're not that far removed from being a player, four-time Stanley Cup champion. You know, you win a Salty Trophy. I mean, you you've had a, a decorated career. Uh, do you find them not that they're in awe of you, but they're just. If Chris Draper has something to say to me, he's going to say it to me. I don't. I, I'm almost hesitant to yeah. to talk to you no, about I it. No, I think the guys. You know, I try to, like you said, I'm not a hard guy to talk to, right. and, and I, you know, I, I want these guys to be able to have what I had, you know, and that's, uh, you know, I, I truly mean that. I was, you know, fortunate to, 
you know, have an 18-year run here with the Detroit Red Wings. I want Chalowski to have it. I want Rasmussen to have it. You know, you just kind of, I want Larkin to, to be a Red Wing for life. Like, that's what I want. So if there's anything I can do to help them out, I will do that. But it's at first, you know, you just got to try to gain a little bit of trust with them in a relationship. And, you know, uh, you know, obviously Michael's a centerman. I'm a centerman. And, and you know, there's he, there's enough going on right now that he doesn't need me. We have Sean Horkoff right. and Dan Cleary, awesome guys for player development. Right. They're on the ice with them. I don't want to... Don't want to be like over the top, you know, information overload for him. So it's more just casual conversation. How you feeling, you know, as you know about you know the workouts that he's doing, you know, the the eating, you know, just all those kind of things of of giving himself the best opportunity to play, you know, night in and night out. And then from there, my message is, you know, take as much information as you can. Being around the Henrik Zetterbergs and Nicholas Cronwalls, the Advocators of Glenda, just. Take as much information as you can and bring that back to your junior team, and, and it's only going to help you as uh, as you go back and play major junior hockey, and then learn to become a pro, and, and certainly learn to become a Red Wing. When you uh, you're the assistant to Ken Holland, assistant to the general manager, and it sounds it sounds like it's an all encompassing title. Yeah, the 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 the, the example is like you're kind of like the lint trap and the dryer, you know. Anything that this organization needs kind of gets filtered towards your way. Is is that a proper description of of what you do? Because you seem to have not your you know everything. I mean, you know, no, no, <laughs> yeah. but, no. Well, but but what I mean is, that you know what's going on in Grand Rapids. You yeah. probably know what Dan Watson's doing in Toledo. You know what's going on with Horkoff and Cleary as they're yeah. developing players. I mean, it's an all-encompassing job yeah. that you have. Well, the key part there is I'm Horkoff and Cleary's boss. You know, so let's, make, let's make sure your listeners know that. Yeah. Um, you know what? Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy kind of being, uh, you know, the, 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 the pulse of, of what's going on and seeing what's going on. Obviously, the most important thing is the Detroit Red Wings. And then for me, uh, we've talked about this before, I really enjoy the amateur side. You know, I've already been out, uh, you know, scouting the 2,000-born players for, for next year's draft, and it's something that, you know, I really enjoy. Um, and then from there, granted, it's just, you know what, I, I can do all that because everything's so close. We're, we're in a prime area that we live in. I'm two hours from Grand Rapids. I can wheel down to Toledo. Uh, there's so much amateur hockey around here. Uh, you know, I can get back and forth. If I got to get to Toronto, it's three and a half hours, watch a game, come on home. Uh, I get to watch the Wings play. I get to watch the Wings practice. I mean, there's just so much stuff going on, and I just enjoy, I enjoy being a part of it. Yesterday I came in. Um, you know, the wings were practicing and I sat and I talked to Blash for half an hour, you know, just right. like these are things that I love to do and I have an opportunity, you know, to talk hockey and, and to talk and give an opinion, but also to learn. I, I want to learn, you know, and, and uh, you know, I, I was able to play with some, you know, some of the greatest players ever and I learned from them on the ice. And now I just want to try to learn as much as I can off the ice and, and I'm enjoying, I really, really enjoying what I'm doing. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you about I can't believe your son is a young man right now. Yeah. And, and, but you're coaching him too, right? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're involved. Do, do you ever sleep? Do you ever <laughs> rest? And I would guess, is in, I know you love the Red Wings. I mean, I know that you love your job. But I would imagine a lot of self-satisfaction gets to see your, you, know, you watching and coaching your boy. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, it's something... Uh, you know, that I love to do. I love being around. Uh, first of all, I love being around. I, I'm so fortunate. I got two beautiful daughters as well and do, right. you know, a ton with them. And my wife is uh, very understanding. Uh, she wants me to be, 
involved in, in, in our son's hockey. And with that, she knows that I also have a job to do. So there's a lot of nights where it's, uh, you know, it's, it's busy, you know, right. it's, uh, you know, whether I'm, you know, with him or whether I'm, I'm, you know, heading to on the road to scout a game, it's, you know, and sometimes it's both sometimes, you know, in the <laughs> afternoon I'm with him and at night I'm scouting a game, you know, so there's a, there's a lot of, uh, once I headed up to Traverse city and, and this is no joke, I'm going to be in a rink every day until, you know, the playoff, you know, until the regular season's over. It's every day in right. a rank, and sometimes it's in two different ranks. But, you know, I, I love it. Um, you know, this this building, Little Caesars Arena, is, is truly amazing. And we're just talking right now. The, the Red Wings are, are playing. You know, they got a 7.30 game. And my actually, my son skates at 8.30 tonight over at the Belfort Training Center with his team. They practice, you know. So, I mean, how cool is that? Right. You know, I get to wheel in, and I get to watch the, the Red Wings play and peek down at intermission and watch, you know, my son's team, you know, practice. So, uh, it's amazing of, of what Mr. and Mrs. Illich built here. And, and uh, you know, we talk about the Red Wings and how cool it is. And, you know, you look next door at the Belfort Training Center. It's an unbelievable facility for uh, for Little Caesars AAA hockey. It's amazing. So, um, you know, for me, uh, just being around this group, I've been around this group. They were since they were nine years old. There's uh, ten of them that have been on the same team. Wow. Uh, now, obviously, they're playing. Uh, you know, midget minor. So it's. Uh, it's pretty cool and pretty uh, gratifying to see where they're at. And now, do you get time to actually coach? Yeah, yeah, we played. Uh, so Saturday, uh, we played. Uh, we had a two thirty game, uh, and then uh, I was at the Wings game uh, Saturday night. So it was uh, so we went there, played, and, you know, kind of got dressed and wheeled over here and watched watched the Wings play. So uh, it's it's amazing. So I, I have a I you know I, I know my priorities. I know uh, that I have to go see games. I understand right. what my schedule has to be. And from there, you know, I just kind of, uh, we have unbelievable assistant coaches uh, that, that help out with, uh, with, with uh, my son's team. And, right. uh, you know, when I'm not there, it's, uh, it just runs as smoothly as I'm there. But to me, I, I love it. I love being on the ice with these kids. I love being at practice uh, and being around this group. But, uh, you know, I also know what, uh, what I have to do for the Red Wings. What kind, are you Scotty Bowman-like behind the bench? or uh, uh, You know, Chica. <laughs> yes, right, yeah. yes, Chica yeah. calls me Victor Tikhanov. Is that uh, good? I think so. Uh, no, we just get around with that. Uh, you know, I mean, to be honest with you, today I watched uh, I watched the Red Wings practice, and there's a lot of times where I'll sit there, I'll just grab if, if there's a drill I like, I'll take a video of it and put it into put it into our kids' practice. You know, so that's right. kind of so they're uh, you know they got uh, power skating tonight. They're gonna do, and and tomorrow we skate again, and and I'm gonna pretty well run. The, the Detroit Red Wing Jeff Blashill practice that he ran today with the players and I'll run it tomorrow night with uh, with Little Caesars and these kids love it you know that's the great thing I'm very fortunate to be able to sit in you know Blash's office and talk to him talk drills talk hockey and kind of you know put something together and then run uh, you know a bunch of 15 year olds through uh, through an NHL type practice. Well the one thing about the Belfort Center the, the, the Red Wings where the practice rink is and I, I'm pretty sure you had an instrumental hand in this is that it is the Little Caesars home rink, Correct. and it's it's like a little mini stadium yeah. in there. It's like a little mini Red Wing room, yeah. uh, and you know, and I know that the competition, and this is a great hockey area. But I would imagine, let's say, you know, 13, 14 year old Art Regner, who happened to be a great hockey player, I would just have to walk into this facility, yeah. and it's. Do I have to sign or do I have to pay you? I mean, this is a pretty awesome place for a young man to play. Yeah. Uh, you know, and our, our families realize that. Uh, they realize how fortunate they are. We've been able to skate, 
you know, they we, they probably had about 70 practices in here already. Wow. Um, you know, and, and, you know, the very cool thing is, like I just said, um, there's a Red Wings game going on, yet Little Caesars can practice. We basically practice, uh, we have, you know, Monday to Thursday, there's four teams that skate through here, no matter wow. what the event is. You know, it was... I saw some kids carrying hockey bags through when Kid Rock was playing. You know, they come in, they have their little entrance, they drop down and they go into into the rink and it's like they're in their own little world, you know. But it's amazing. Uh, the walk, We had a walk through and, you know, you have, um, we have our own feeder room. We have three tutor rooms. Uh, we have a shooting room. We have our own weight room. There's four dressing rooms that are basically built like the NHL visitors room. It's, uh, it's, it's state of the art. It's unbelievable. Uh, and, and I know, you know, for me, I, I'm so fortunate to be able, you know, to have my son's team down here and, and they know they're so fortunate. And we have the midget majors, uh, we have, uh, the band of majors, which is coached by Patrick Stefan, uh, oh, really? first overall pick and Brian Smolenski's son is on All that right. team and he helps coach. And then the U16 girls, uh, skate out of this that, uh, that, uh, Manon Rayom has, uh, has a say in on how it goes. So these teams skate and then from there on weekends, uh, we get uh, you know all the other AAA teams to come in, play games, practice, and like I said, there's nothing like this that I've seen in North America for amateur hockey. It's absolutely unbelievable, and, and we realize how fortunate we are to have it. And Art, if you were a great 12 or 13 or 14 year old hockey player, we would want you to be a part of Little Caesars. Right. I I would have been. You would have had to like tie me down. I would have oh, yeah. been bouncing on the walls. Yeah. Well, our kids. They, and it's funny, they, once they get home, they can't wait to get down here. Right. Oh, you know, I, I can see that. And, and the, the cool thing is, is how we have it set up is, you know, the kids can come down if they practice at, you know, tonight we have the late practice at 8.30. Most of the kids will be down here around 6.30, 7 o'clock, and they'll do, they'll try to get most of their homework finished. So they'll get their homework done, they'll go skate, they'll go home, they'll be, you know, instead of practicing where, you know, you show up at a practice and now you skate and then you jump in the car, you get home at you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night and you have some homework to do. So we try to, we try to schedule it. It's almost, you know, to get these kids in, it's almost like an after-school academy. Mm -hmm. Get the kids in, you know, let them work out, let them do their homework, let them grab something to eat, let them practice, and then they're finished for the night. It's amazing. Well, it, 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 it is very impressive. Uh, I want to wrap it up because I know the game's going to start here in about 25 minutes. Uh, I look around, you know, and, and for me, especially at, at Joe Louis Arena, when I, you know, I knew where you sat, I knew where Darren and Maltz and Marty and, you know, Stevie and yep. Sergey and everybody, you know, the locker room obviously is different. But the one thing that ha it hasn't changed is that virtually everybody in that room, to a certain degree, and you, know, you and Maltz are working together, you know, uh, Maltby is a, is, a, is a scout, um, you know, Ozzy's doing the TV thing yep. now. Uh, Stevie's running Tampa, Brendan's with Toronto, Sergey's running some, you know, his club yeah. in Russia, Igor is an agent, pops in and out. Do, do you have a lot of contact with everybody because you're still running in yeah. the same circles or is it, is it a little too competitive where you talk to Brendan but he's a leave and Stevie, yeah. even though he's one of the faces of the yeah. franchises of Detroit, is, you know, he's Tampa. Yeah, uh, I mean obviously still, you know, anytime you go into Toronto, I'm sure Shani's going to come here to, to see this building on Friday night when Toronto comes to town and, you know, you sit down and you have 15, you know, 20 minute conversation right. with them, you know. We won cups together. We're going to be friends for life. There's right. no doubt about it. Uh, you know, anytime. You know, I, I was very fortunate to have a good relationship with Stevie Y. And you know, well, you guys were you guys were known as workout fiends together. I yeah. mean, you guys had a routine that was 
even among the media, and you know, we, we obviously don't work out. Uh, is uh, you know, it was so, legendary. Though. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I take that relationship when we play to, you know, I, I want to learn. I want to learn mm -hmm. from the best. I get to talk to Ken. I'm so fortunate. I can pick up the phone and call Stevie and you know talk through our training camp, seeing how he's doing, see how his team's doing, and stuff like that. And you know, we we run into each other and. and you know, the thing that I love is there's been times where he's asked me about some players, and, and, you know, that are going to be drafted. And, uh, you know, you, you, you know, it's, it's, uh, you're lucky to be able to bounce something off like, a, like a, not only a, a, a former player like Stevie, but, you know, a, a great young general manager like Stevie Y. So I'm, I'm lucky in that way. Uh, you know, obviously Maltz, he was here the other night. We sit right. together, we talk together. I talk to him a lot. He does the pro side. So if I always have any questions on the pro side, I ask him. I... We spend a lot of time in our cars, you know, like that's really what you do when you drive to games. So for me, you know, I'll call, you know, I'll make a lot of calls when I'm, when I'm going to a game and I'll watch my game and then when I'm coming home just to really talk hockey. And that's, that's how you learn, asking questions and talking. So I take advantage of, of the people that I played with and the people that I know. Right, and you're not really surprised that so many of you are not only still in the game but are real integral parts yeah. Of certain organizations. I, yeah, I agree. Obviously, Kenny very loyal to Yuri Fisher, who right. works oh, for yeah, us definitely. as well. Fish, he does an unreal job. Um, you know, so I think um, we played the game, but I think we also kind of thought the game and learned the game. You know, is, right. is really, you know, how it was. Uh, you know, and 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 the the fortunate thing is there were so many of us that stayed in, you know, in Detroit for as long as we have, and. It's it, to, to me, Detroit's home, you know, like that's really, you know, I've been here since 1993 and my kids have grown up here and, and were born here and grown up here. And it's a, I, I, I've always been able to, to have good relationships with the fans and hockey people and I enjoy it. And I know a lot of it has to do with the success that, that our teams have had. Uh, you know, so anytime you get an opportunity to talk to people, I talk to people, and that's really, uh, you know, something I'm fortunate to be able to do. You know, I know you're going to be on this podcast, much to your chagrin, many, many times over the next, uh, hopefully, many years. But, yeah. uh, you know, everyone always wants to talk about you being traded for a dollar, but I, I don't even care about that. My yeah. favorite quote, and I'm going to bring it up every time, was when you found out you were traded to the Red Wings, you said to yourself... I couldn't make the Winnipeg yeah. Jets. How am I going to make the Detroit yeah. Red Wings? Which is classic, but yeah. it was the best thing that ever happened to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you look at it. They had uh, they had Fedorov, Iserman, Primo, Sillinger. I mean, <laughs> pretty good four centermen right there, you know. And uh, you know, but it just comes back to how we started this. That uh, you know, I, I took a lot of pride in 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 in, in penalty killing and faceoffs, and then you know for. For me, probably the you know the luckiest thing was I, I I I we hit it off myself, Mac, Maltz, Joey. Like we we kind of they we were the role players and the heart and soul of of probably some of the greatest players that ever played. Right. Um. And and we knew that. And there were some nights where we knew what we had to do. Um. And and we were able to chip in offensively, which uh, we took a lot of pride in, but. You know the bottom line we knew going over the boards is you know do, we we had a we had a, some nights where we're playing against Gretzky or Forsberg or Sackick or or Medano like it was important for us to to make sure that you know we we didn't get scored on and it's a it's a pretty funny it's it's hard you go over the boards and you know obviously a lot of players are they want to go and they want to score goals we wanted to do that but most importantly we realized we couldn't get scored on and if we were going to do that we were able to earn Scotty's trust trust. 
and we're able to play in a lot of key situations and it's something that uh, you know we're super proud of and I know a lot of Red Wing fans remember. You know Steve Eisman always downplays it but he said he was just one good player on a team of many many players yeah. and he and I look back at the recent era and I guess when when Z finally and Croner when they finally hang it up in a mm -hmm. few years from now or whenever that is this past era of Red Wing hockey the city of Detroit, it was some of the best professional teams, regardless of the sport in the sure. history of Detroit professional yeah. sports, you were on. And I always go back to what Stevie always says about it, because if it wasn't for the grind line, if it wasn't for Marty LaPointe, and all you guys, yeah. I, I, I love you, Marty, you know yeah. that. But I mean, the thing is, is that it was just such, it's weird how it all just kind of came together. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, yeah. and, and you all understood it. You all knew your roles. And it was just, as a fan and a lifelong Detroiter, it was beautiful to watch. But what was really more, and gets me emotional about it, is I got to cover it and get to know you guys and know that there wasn't a finer group of men that could represent the city of Detroit than what your Red Wing teams were. It's truly, Chris, you guys yeah. were were great team, but yeah. you were just be you were better men, and that's yeah. that's great. Yeah. For, for a kid who grew up here, I can't I can't thank you enough. I yeah. mean, it was just wonderful to watch. That was uh, I mean, let's be honest. We you know I won I won four Stanley Cups. I played with you know some of the greatest players that this game has ever had. So. I mean, you know, you, you realize, uh, you know, pr pretty fortunate to be able to do that. And the cool thing is, you know, walking through this new building and you see a lot of those moments that, uh, you know, are going to be enshrined in here forever. So really cool. Well, thanks, Chris. Thanks for doing this. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do it again. I appreciate it. I know I kept you a little bit longer than I probably Well, I knew that have. was coming. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> but I didn't ask you one last question, though. Well, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, I appreciate it.